Hi, this is Tony Lloyd. Interviewing people for many years has made me realise that everyone has a life story to tell. Be they sad, amazing or even inspirational, I want to bring as many human stories to you as I can in this series of podcasts. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd. Catherine Pritchard, welcome to Human Stories. So nice to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Tony. It's really good to be here. Okay, now you, your story very briefly is that uh, you're a serving police officer, you have been all your working life, and you've got uh, recurring breast cancer, sadly. Yes, I have. It first came uh, six years ago, and that was breast cancer, a triple negative. And for those that aren't aware, that's non-estrogen receptive, so you have the operation and there's no more medication. But it's a grade three, and it's similar this time, but it's... Um, there's only four grades, so it's grade three, triple negative breast cancer. And it's the same again as, as well. Yeah, six, only six years on. So I was 44 and I'm just 51 to give you an idea of timings and age as well. Mm. Well, you don't look 51, I have to say. You look very good. I'm talking oh. to you on Zoom. So. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Um, so uh, we all want to hear all about uh, your story as much as possible. It sounds very technical what you just said. Uh, so we'll go through that a bit later on. But um, I want to find out a bit about you and your life um, when you were younger and what sort of person you are. How was your upbringing? Um, what sort of uh, life did you have when you were younger? Gosh, it feels a privilege to have a, a question like that, such an open question, because very rarely do people ask uh, about your previous life or what you've done or about you. And I think that's a product of having a full-time job and very busy with teenagers. Mm. But I had a full upbringing out in the country with my parents and my brother uh, and, and my horses. And then um, I went to university at Salford University, did an English history degree, but I've always wanted to join the police. And at age seven, I visited the mounted police stables with a pony club. And I said to mum, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I ha don't have any family in the police, Tony, and for your other listeners, but I knew in my heart that was my calling and I'm not sure why but you had to be 22 at the time mm. so the degree I went to Manchester but I never looked at anything else I've never done anything else I've never wanted to be anything else and I've been really really fortunate in that time you know there's been highs and lows mm. as you'd expect with any long career but overall I've always felt part of a family and I'm not saying it's perfect and I know I'm aware of the media recently but there's a lot of good officers that have helped me through my first diagnosis of cancer, but way, way, way back that save lives and do good things. So I do feel a privilege and I've contributed as much as I can because mm. I love it. Overall, I love it. Although I know it's 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 not perfect and it can be improved, but um, I've had some really, really good jobs and I'm a chief inspector. And at the moment I'm seconded to help get those 20,000 extra officers that I know will ease the burden for those in operational policing, because that's where the heart of policing is. That's what touches the public. Mm, so of course. That's, that's how I am. And I have, um, shall, I talk, shall I say about my girls? Uh, yeah, tell us about your daughters. Yeah, so they're 16 and 19. And I've one of the 19-year-olds just gone away to university. And I was ready for that, just like I was ready for any recurrence of cancer. But I will say I did cry a lot and surprised myself that I feel like all this time, I've invested everything and now she's flown mm. She's, and I've never seen her happier. I think I'm the one that struggled. Have you listened uh, to ABBA's track, Slipping Through My Fingers? 
Uh, it was on oh. Mamma Mia, um, number, yeah. number one. Yeah, that makes all mothers of daughters cry. <laughs> yes, that's the one I won't listen to unless I'm feeling strong. No, but of course your your situation's uh, a lot different. Were you um, ever tempted to go to Canada and join the Mounted Police there? <laughs> uh, no, not really, because I'd visited that place when I was seven. And I thought, that's what I want to do. And that's where I want to be amongst horses, who has always been my passion, mm. uh, um, and the police as well. But it's probably good to add it this time if some people think, oh, I've, I've never been privileged, but I've always worked really hard from my small amount uh, of my horses because I've always been really aware, which I'll come on to a bit of that passion. Mm. I ball it up and that's my energy, my life giver, my everything, my horse. So whatever my financial circumstances, I always wanted that and needed that release and that energy giving. Do you find that uh, talking to your horses or being with them helps your situation, helps you cope? Yeah, not so much talking to them, but I think riding and the looking after something else and then I compete as well. So that focus other people have compared it to, you know, sports where you really have to concentrate. Uh, that's really good because it's not work, it's not children, it's not health, it's just you and it's teamwork at its truest. Okay, understand. Okay, so um, what happens when you first got uh, breast cancer? How did you discover it? Well, this is this is where I think my raison d'etre for everything, my reason is to help others because... Um, it was the size of a peppercorn, a tiny, tiny peppercorn. And that's when I just thought, no, I will get it checked out because I thought in the media there's so much about getting checked out, but I never thought it would be anything. And it did turn out to be something. But I was in denial for many, many weeks prior to getting it and felt absolutely sure it would be nothing. Really, really, I didn't feel it would be anything at all. So I was very, very shocked six years ago and had, I think it worked out and I did some calculations had um 87 needles four operations and 58 appointments in six months after finding that wow. so to give you an idea of, of how i went from high flying chief inspectors boards to suddenly an inpatient and yeah so that was six years ago so it, it, i did put everything into the recovery and recognize we may come onto the stony but it, it's, a, it's a head game really the body will do what the body will do if you keep fit, but it's a head game, really. So I wanted to emerge and have a carry on to have a fulfilling life. Can you remember how you felt when when it was uh, positive? The first time, yeah. When I got the result, oh, I just felt. I remember, you know, where I was, on, and in the house, and I just remember thinking, it, it, it's just incredulous and. To link it up to last time, it, it felt very, very similar, just like it was uh, happening to somebody else. I know we've all shared stories and it feels like it's somebody else. It really did. Mm. Okay. It must have been really upsetting and upsetting for everybody else. You know, oh, my God, I've got breast cancer. It, it is up. Uh, upsetting is the right word. And it takes, I describe it as having butterflies and they were, not butterflies in your stomach, but everywhere. And I couldn't net them. I couldn't control my emotions. I couldn't decide how I felt. So I'm mindful of my children were 10 and 12 at the time. So uh, when I got back from the hospital, I just needed uh, half a day before I told them and configured me and my husband that um, just worked out how we were going to tell them. 
and I'd already had a lumpectomy at the time. So I said, you know, um, I haven't got it now. It's in the hospital in a jar. It's gone. So all you need to help to do, girls, you little girls, is to help mummy get better now with chemotherapy. Yeah. And all the time I'm mindful of the effect it has on them yeah. because they, well, they've got all their lives ahead of them and I don't want to feel like I'm a burden to them. Mm. But I, I'd like think they'd like to have a role, but but not a burden and not so dissimilar this time, really. Yeah, I understand. And so you then embarked on um, six years ago on on that treatment, and and how did that affect you? It must, from what um, we hear, what I hear, it's pretty devastating and tough. Yeah, and I think losing your hair it is probably up there. So that was probably the, the the one of the toughest thing was it's how you looked rather than how you felt. But I did do a lot of research about wigs um, and had lots of hats. I've got photographs, you know, and I sort of with hats with hair on. For me, it was a head game about feeling normal in the day, whatever I felt that I wanted to go to the shops or go about my daily business. Sure. I was off work for a year, but without... Uh, and some people don't mind. It's not for everybody. And I suppose the key thing is to help others. But but share. It's really important that it's a personal journey. I'm not saying my way is the only to do it only way to do it but as I go into it again I'm realizing that you know to to think about what you can do so what could I do I could get a wig I could get several wigs which I did one for the day one for the evening and one as a spare because that was important to me but it's not important to everybody no what I've learned is what I found is that don't ever tell somebody how they should feel or what they should do open it out to see what suits them. And that's where you find your strength with a, a way forward that suits you and your heart and your way forward. Mm. And I struggle when I look around to find other people that are as focused and forward thinking as me. Yeah, You know, I, people are quite negative and that's okay if they're happy in that space. But for me, it's looking about looking to the future, about finding my strength. Finding, finding professionals that really, really can talk to me about what's going to happen. And I never Google anything. No, <laughs> you, you get too much information, don't you, from Google or wherever. Um, so how long did all the treatment go on for? A year. Wow. And then another year for my hair to grow back. That was six years ago, yeah. And um, were the police supportive uh, with your job and everything? Yeah, they were. It was a really, uh, I was lucky because I transferred to another force. But, um, you know, I suppose the key thing for me here is it's not a nice journey for anybody, for the organisation, for the friends and for the family. And I I recognised that it wasn't. So I kept in touch weekly and I did everything I could to try and ease it through, you know, a weekly text to say, this is where I'm at. Uh, this is what I need from you. You know, can I? Can you help me with these things? Mm. So, I, I think other people aren't as fortunate with either with their employment or the people they have. But my not, not advice, but I suppose my offering here would be: it's not easy for anybody, and a lot of people don't know what to say. So, make it as easy as you can for them. I knew that although they cared. I was a list of their things to do. So I know that every Friday I'd give them a list of where I was at, what I needed to do going forward. So it was easy for them to tick off. 
and I knew it wasn't easy for them. They didn't want me to be poorly. Um, but I, I suppose that's the thing going forward. I've made it and replicated this time to make it easy for those around them because a lot of people don't know what to say. And mm. I think one of my things, I know we might go on to my mini podcast, was that um, one of my episodes is going to be what not to say when somebody's been diagnosed. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's awkward, isn't it? I think it's probably the best. Yeah. It's, you know, what do you say to somebody who says that, you know? I know. Um, it, it, it is difficult. So that would be really useful advice, yeah. <clears throat> so um, then you were okay for a while and yeah. were you given the all clear? Yes. Okay. And then uh, it came back. So how how did that happen? How did you feel then? How did I feel? Um, to say similar to the last time isn't helpful, but those feelings of how can this be? felt deeper harder and it hit harder because I just thought I could see the purpose of last time of bringing good into the world sharing the positivity and I've been doing talks at work for hundreds of people about positivity and people have said some things that I just thought yeah this is why because I've helped others so when I got it again I, I couldn't understand it and I haven't I'm just processing it now because it's only just over eight weeks ago but it's been shock disbelief mm. They wonder why. And all the time I keep thinking, right, what can I do? What can I change? And what can I do? How can I still help others? How could, you know, what can I do? And that's really what, and how am I going to tell people? And how am I going to help others around me manage? Mm. It's not easy others around me either. But that's that's sort of your personality, isn't it? I, I can tell that you've always wanted to help other people. That's why you became a police officer, wasn't it? Yeah. Very much so, very much so, because my husband had cancer two years ago. And I will be honest with you that I found it harder being the supporter because mm. we went to the same ward and the same nurses, but it was harder being on the support chair because I wanted him to deal with it like me, to talk about it, to help others. But he's an alpha male and just wanted to close off. And I found it harder, you know, because I didn't have a lot of turnaround time. It must have been two or maybe three years ago, but it didn't, I didn't have a lot of turnaround time and did find that harder. So this now, now I am in this position again. I just want to make it straightforward and be clear with others what helps me, because that helps me, but also to help them through it so they don't flounder and wonder what to do. That's right. What advice would you give to somebody listening to this, uh, male or female, but mostly females, um, obviously, uh, about um, how to cope and um, what to do and so on, you know, winding your time back um, with your experiences, what advice would you give to other women listening to this? Oh, the really clear advice is do what makes you happy. Really, really do what makes you happy as much as you possibly can. Fill your days. For me, and it is such a personal journey, for me, it's about being outside. It's about exercising keeping busy for me it's my horse as well and I'm doing some work at the moment but it's whatever your head can manage and whatever your physicality can manage but definitely definitely it's that being around you know the key thing Tony for me is the people around you mm. those that give you energy some people suck the life out of you and be and be harsh not necessarily harsh to them but cut those people out stay with people that make you feel good and uh, forward thinking that are aligned 
with you because it's a head for me it's about managing your head every day keeping really really positive that for me is the key uh, and it's doing what suits your pathway your personality somebody could be just love some gardening or coffee in a magazine and that's good too or it depends on your age your time of life uh, situation for males and females but set i listen to something called the miracle morning every morning it sets out the super savers about what the day is going to be how how it's structured and for me that keeps me focused and positive and it's just i listen to a some books or something every day that's positive and that's futuristic and about getting things done but it's really really about what suits your mind and your head to keep you in the game oh, to keep positive basically and keep doing stuff yeah and i think i'd caveat that with if you're not a positive person or that's not the way that suits you then choose something that really suits you that can get you through it mm. around the people that give you strength and give you energy and strength because for me going starting the chemotherapy a week on monday um for me i'm planning now got my book here planning now every day so i so i glide into that strong physically and mentally so i wasn't going i probably wouldn't have done today had i known it be but i thought the value to others today is is for, i want to have that impact on others because it would have been easier for me to say listen i've just had a day i can't do it but then i reminded myself that why and what makes me feel good and what i help others is to chat in a live way because mm. most people do retrospective stories yeah but mine's a live story and hope that is of more value because if i finish today and you say you know some people listen to that and they got in touch and they feel better or they want to talk then that would f feel like success to me. I always like to begin everything with the end in mind. I want to finish my chemotherapy. Um, I won't have any hair, but I've organised a good wig and I want to, to finish it uh, and look to the next chapter. Absolutely. Um, and um, hopefully you'll keep in touch with uh, me so that we can follow your progress because your story is so valuable to other people, isn't it? Yeah, and I haven't heard any like mine, but it just because people may not know that there's, and this is why I've started and got in contact with you because I need to spread it wider because I haven't heard of anybody else's story, but there will be other pe like-minded people out there. But I'm not, what I didn't like about the other podcasts is about obstacles, you can't scare me, the obstacles to cancer. And that's okay if that's where your headspace is, but there are mm. other ways to think about it. What you can do doing the cancer can-can is what you can do for me, for me and this journey. Tell me about the cancer can-can. Yeah, well, I was walking around outside and I thought, what words make me feel good? And it's can. And I thought, well, if I say twice, can, oh, it's the can-can. That's the can-can. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, if I put my arms around people, it feels better. More to the point, they've got their arms around me, mm. teamwork. But that is the can-can. So I have a friend that's in the police and she does some amateur photography. She took a photograph of me and my girls uh, and it was really a favour to mum because they found it quite embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> that's teenage girls would. But I've seen, exactly. I've seen the photo. It's brilliant. <laughs> it was saying, finish now. This is awful. Right. I said, smile, smile through it. So I don't mean can we finish now. That's what I said to them. They said to me, so um, that's, that's the can-can. So... As we've discussed, I'm, um, I've not done much with it, but I want to share it. So if others do like this way of thinking and want to put the can into their day, 
and share it with others, then it's an option. Nothing's ever should ever be forced on anybody yep. with a diagnosis. Well, um, what we'll do is we'll put how to uh, keep in touch with you, wh whether it's through Human Stories or any other platform, um, and I'll put that with the text in the um, in the episode on Human Stories. Uh, thank you very much for for talking to me. Um, you have been very inspirational, um, and I'm sure very helpful to other people listening to this. And uh, keep in touch, and good luck with the the treatment coming up. I'm sure you'll be fine. Thank you. Thanks. Human Stories is a free podcast with no fees paid to contributors in the hope that they'll inspire or help others. Get in touch if you have a story to tell. If you or your organisation would like a professional podcast series to reach your own audience, or if you'd like training so you can do it yourself, I can help. Go to TonyLloydRadio.com. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd.